that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm John Viola, joined by my partner in crime, the Italian American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle, for an episode and topic that I have wanted to talk about for a very, very, very long time. And Pat, when we first got together to join in with Dolores and Anthony and bring Rosella on, one of the first things we did at your request was sit down and write a document that has grown into being what we call the IAP Bible that poor Stephanie manages now and upkeeps. But the idea was like, let's list as many topics as we can that we're interested in, that we think could be interesting, because to your point, Pat, you wanted to make sure we had runway and we weren't going to run out of topics. This has been on my list since that day one, the topic we're going to talk about today. So I'm really excited about this. You, you know, my fear was we would run out of topics. I don't have that fear anymore. I think we could do a daily podcast and have a thousand years worth of topics. Yeah. What's become my fear is some of those people who were older, who were listed on that list, um, passed away before we could get to them. Yep. That's very true. That's the number one mistake that we've made because there's some of them, you know, they had background on stuff we'll never know again or information or experiences. So our, our enemy now is time, but it's not filling up the time. We've done a great job at that. It's getting people um, while we have them here with us. It's kind of that's when I, the point that I started to realize we really were doing this as a professional pursuit was when I started to say, OK, like I had taken for granted that these people would be here forever. We knew them. We had friends. And then you lose them and you're like, oh, man, the, we, we, we lost a vessel of history that we're not going to get back. And you start realizing and, and, and to her credit, God bless Stephanie, because when she came on and took over and codified the I mean, it was a word document that I was typing in different fonts and texts and scratching notes on and whatever I could remember. And she's made it a real living, breathing organism. And, and, and it drives the whole thing for us. I would put Manny Alfano on the top of that list. Yeah, but it was a big loss not that long ago. Uh, yeah, we lost him a few months ago. Manny pioneered work against Italian-American discrimination and negative portrayal of Italian-Americans, unfairly negative portrayal of Italian-Americans in media. And um, he was there from day one with that. I mean, there was a movement in the 70s that, picked up again in the 90s and it just go on the assumption they're going to be here forever so that that's that's a big loss for me top on my list is we never sat down with george randazzo at the italian american sports hall of Fame. oh absolutely correct i mean george was like a grandfather to me and the stories he told and like george was like an italian american forrest gump I mean, he was there he drove rocky marciano to the plane that that unfortunately he crashed into Rocky Marciano and it ended his life. And he was uh, working temporarily at a hotel and Frank Sinatra was a guest and he ended up building a relationship with Frank Sinatra and Joe DiMaggio. I mean, George was everywhere. And uh, I spent so much time with him and got so many of his stories just hanging out. And I kept saying, ah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And we never did it. And unfortunately, we lost George right before COVID. And uh, he was the nicest guy, George. I loved him like a grandfather. I mean, yeah, he was the nicest guy. Yeah. And so I I, I think about that a lot in this desire to tell these stories. And then sometimes on the opposite side, and I think it's like we're going to encounter today. Sometimes there's just not, there's not an expert out there in the field yet. And it's like you said, now we have so many topics and people reach out to us and interesting stories, people we meet when we travel for the greetings from Italian America show and, you know, content, fills up fast, right? And so you have to schedule it out. And sometimes you neglect the stuff that we're passionate about or we know or topics that we've had from the beginning. And 
there's always that triangulation of where's the right person to come on, who's an expert. And it's interesting today because I have taken a kind of backseat to you and Stephanie in booking the shows, right? You guys sit down, you come up with the list, the topics, you go through the Bible. A lot of times I don't even know what's coming until a few days before. And I was really pleasantly surprised a couple of weeks ago when I got the information on today's episode because not only is it an episode that I've been dying to talk about, but it's a guest who's been on before and has established a rapport with us and our audience and uh, we know his his expertise. And so it's a natural kind of comfy glove fit of conversation. So we're going to jump right in to welcoming back Peter Belmonte, who many of you will remember from episode 212, Italian-Americans in the Second World War, a very popular episode, well-received for us on the show and one that everybody's really enjoyed. And Peter's coming back today to talk to us about Southern Italians in the U.S. Civil War, which is a topic that we have danced around a little bit. I mean, we've talked in our broad uh, four-part history of Italian America. We did a little bit on the Italian Americans in the Civil War and the Garibaldi Guard has come up in a bunch of our conversations, but I've always wanted to focus on stories that I really had heard and, and couldn't really source, and the, the history was very difficult for me, and uh, it, it ends up that our friend Peter is working on a new project about this topic. So, Peter, welcome back to the Italian American Podcast. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Well, thank you very much, John. Thank you, Patrick and Stephanie also. And yes, I'm very excited about this topic. Um, probably like you, well, years ago when I became interested in the Civil War, I mean, I was really interested and I was so excited and I, I wanted to find a family connection. I mean, we all have a connection just by virtue of being an American. We inherit the good and the bad. That's us. But I wanted a more of a personal connection. And I realized, you know, that, well, my ancestors came here after the Civil War. But maybe I can look at Italians and see what that was. And early on, I found um, historians like uh, Iorizzo and Mandello uh, and Michael Musmano. And I found information on Italian. And they got their information from Giovanni Schiavo, who I found out a little bit about later, and Ella Lan, who was a pioneer in that. But the information I, I found was was about the same each time. They, they, they mentioned the four or five generals. There was Enrico Fardella, who was indeed Sicilian. Uh, Edward Ferraro and uh, Francis Spinola, who is sort of tangentially Italian, and Luigi Palma di Cesnola, who earned the Medal of Honor. These men and a few other officers of lower rank were mentioned. All of them were Northern Italian. And these historians did groundbreaking work, and they're absolutely correct in the information they provided. But I, always was, I was always like not satisfied. I understood there weren't as many Italians, and I understood sort of about the north-south divide at that point. And I knew, okay, well, there was a unification of Italy about that time. I didn't know all that implied and what that meant. I was looking for Italians, and I thought I would like to see some from the south. And then, of course, I learned about the Garibaldi Guard. Very interesting. And then I was very, very disappointed to, uh, when I sunk my teeth into it, to realize, hey, wait a minute, most of these guys weren't Italian at all. Uh, there was one company of Italians in there. And Michael Baccarella, who's written an excellent history, of the, given the history of that regiment and the roster. But anyway, all that to say is I was disappointed in what I was finding. And I said, surely there were Southern Italians in there. And it wasn't until um, oh, comparatively recently when I was studying Calabrese in, uh, in the U.S. military during and before World War I. And I came across Father Leo Rizzo, who was uh born in, in the province of Cosenza in 1830. He became a priest. He was educated in, in Cosenza and then uh, in Rome. And while in Rome, he was taught English by Irish priests. So he learned English, English with the Irish brogue. <laughs> he immigrated to the United States in 1860 
1864, he became the chaplain of the 9th Connecticut Infantry Regiment, a heavily Irish regiment. Uh, so he served for three, uh, about three months. He had a very abbreviated career, uh, interesting career. He became sick while on the Shenandoah campaign in, 18, in uh, the fall of 1864 and was in the hospital in Harper's Ferry with typhoid. And another Italian uh, priest who happened to be a Southern sympathizer purloined his credentials while he was ill and took his uniform and smuggled uh, union material across southern uh, across the lines and and whatever anyway but that was another, that was one of the most interesting things i i learned and uh, after that just i kept searching and searching and i kept finding some yeah it's so fascinating to me because you know in in reading stephanie's notes on your upcoming project and you and i were talking off mic this is a 2023 project for you it's you've got another book coming out uh, that you're co-authoring beforehand so this is sort of on deck in the hopper if you will on the schedule of publications and uh I was going through your approach to the topic around utilizing advances in genealogy and uh, ancestry and things like that today, and really primarily focusing on, right now, identifying Southern Italian soldiers in the Union forces, which was a big surprise for me because the only history that I had encountered around Southern Italians or, or two Sicilians in the Civil War was on the Confederate side. So, how did you uncover the average fighting man of Southern Italian extraction in the Union Army? Well, uh, it was through using those things that you you kind of alluded to through uh, advances and kind of the access of genealogical records, uh, especially in Ancestry.com, but there are others. Um, and I also obtained some records through more conventional sources, but mostly it was done through Ancestry.com. And uh, for example, let's take just one example where I got a lot of information was from the New York uh, infantry regiments, the enlistment roles, or at least the, the, a record of their service. Uh, and some of them list place of birth. So tempting. You see so many that say just Italy. And I try after that, I try to find out about that individual was, you know, cause you'll find, I can, I found um, naturalization documents that said, you know, I resigned my affiliation with the kingdom of the two Sicilies and, you know, blah, blah. So, okay, well, that's a confirmation somewhere. This man is from Southern Italy, the two Sicilies that, that we talked about. Um, so anyway, I find, try to find other resources, and oftentimes you find them. Sometimes you don't. And they there is a few that I have pulled aside. Thirty two so far, I think it's thirty two uh, that I have pulled aside, and I have a separate appendix that said these guys are promising. They've got Southern Italian names. I know it. I can't find the, the you know the thing that links them. But uh, enlistment documents sometimes will list Palermo, Italy, or uh, Messina, Sicily, or whatever. Uh, Army enlistment documents. And another big thing: a lot of men enlisted from either Naples, Palermo, or Messina into the Navy. Hmm. So most of these men were that, that did this were professional musicians. And of course, they were recruiting. They're not going to turn down a professional musician in Naples. And they uh, enlist in, in the, the Navy, make their way to the United States, and then either re-enlist. A lot of them re-enlisted in the Navy. A lot of them then said they went into the Army to be musicians. So yeah, I found them in all kinds of places. So they were able to actually enlist in the city of Naples. Yeah, Naples. I found Naples, Messina, and Palermo so far. And that begs another question. I've, I've got, um, so far, my tally is uh, out of 123 men. And I, and I want to discuss that figure. But let me do that real quick, if you don't mind. 123 men that I've confirmed. And I've got others that I think, and others that may not ever be able to find out. But 123 men. First thing about that number is that's a drop in the bucket compared to Irish German, British, uh, Scandinavians, even probably against Northern Italians. It's not a lot. 
The second thing about that, though, it's probably more than a lot of people thought. Anybody that, <laughs> like me, that devoted any period of time to thinking about this, that's probably more than than you thought. Yeah. Uh, and the third thing is, as I already mentioned, there's going to be more. I mean, I just need to dig more. Uh, you know, there's so much you can do. And, and then, you you know, you throw up your hands. But uh, so 123 out of those, the most occupation I found was 36 musicians. And so and, and behind them are 21 sailors or mariners. So that makes sense, right? If you're a musician, professional musician or a mariner in Palermo, it makes it a lot easier for you to obtain passage You know, I have not found any, uh, and I'll cover this a little bit. I have not found anyone other than uh, Neapolitans, Sicilians, and one Calabrese. I suspect there's a couple that were just Southern Italian. That's all I've been able to nail it down to. And there's got to be more. There has got to be more that are from Basilicata. I mean, obviously, the the um, you know the peasant in in Cosenza or in uh, in Vigiano or somewhere in 1850s didn't have the same wherewithal, the same ability to hop on a sailing ship. Yeah, but Vigiano exported musicians to the U.S. very, very early on. They were, um, because they were very high quality musicians, um, some of them actually went to Cuba. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them were in the Caribbean. Some of them came into the U.S. There were certain towns in Italy that exported musicians. And Vigiano was one of them. And I know Vigiano had people here in the 1870s. Yeah, and and I wouldn't be surprised if some of those ones I found that were musicians that were just Italy uh, would be from places like that. I am so fascinated by this subject. Yeah. Because the reason why it fascinates me so much is Southern Italian immigration is just, just beginning. And I've often asked the question, I've had this question with John. I have a theory. My theory is that the first Southern Italian immigrants who came to the U.S. were displaced by the Basilicata earthquake of 1857. And what happened was it was a devastating earthquake. It was three years before Garibaldi invades the Two Sicilies. The Two Sicilies had been criticized. I really don't know if it was justified for not having addressed it. But as soon as unification came, it was going nowhere, right? The, yeah. the rebuilding. So those towns were absolutely flattened. Left, left in ruins. Right. So right around the time of the American Civil War, is when they started to head to the U.S. Now, a lot of them came as seasonal workers because yeah. they figured, well, you know, the Bourbons are out, but the Savoys are in and somebody's going to fix up our towns. They never did. Yep. But I'm often I'm I'm fascinated. And, and the reason I bring up Vigiano is they were one of the towns that were affected. Yeah. So my my curiosity is because that earthquake in 1857 was like one of the first events that spurned on this immigration. Is there a correlation from people who were affected by that come to New York and join the military. I have no idea. That's why I'm so fascinated by what you're doing. Well, um, it, and it may be those that I mentioned, and maybe some of those men that I can't trace, but I will say this. I have found 72 men uh, from the two Sicilies who served before the civil war. I'll tell you the 18 men that they recruited in uh, 1805 in Sicily, men and boys, by the way, they actually recruited them into the uh, Marine Corps to uh, to be a part of the Marine Band. And those are the 18 pioneers or the earliest I could find. And I suspect they're not typical immigrants, right? These men and boys, youngsters, were recruited from Sicily just for that reason and brought to the United States. Many of them stayed in uh, in the military. But aside from those men, 54 others 
And they and, and I have them early enlisting as early as 1811, a name that's almost this is undecipherable, Peter Sapengene or Sapenze, Sapenze, you know, they're struggled with the words, with the names. Sure. Uh year old laborer who enlisted in Syracuse. Uh Francis Arminio from Naples was a musician. He um served, he enlisted in 1818, served for a few years and then. The last info I have is uh, he's listed as present, sick in the hospital. The final sad notation is discharged, 1821 maniac, hmm. which is, you know, which is a sad, uh, but anyway, that goes on and on. And and I, if I can, I'll touch on another one. It'll be interesting. And I'm kind of, maybe I'm getting out of order here, but uh, Achille Centros or Central, C-E-N-T-R-O, Naples. Uh, he was a musician. He came over, he enlisted in 1836. He was stationed in New, in uh, Texas. Two of his sons, Alexander and Robert, both born in the United States, uh, enlisted as boys in the same regiment in the band, 5th Infantry Regiment Band. What happened, though, uh, sadly, in uh, 1854 in Texas, Central's wife was insulted by uh, an American down there. And Central didn't take it well. And uh, he kind of confronted the man who insulted him. The man who insulted him went and got a gun and killed Centro. And a, a Mexican band leader who had interposed to try to stop the violence. So both of those men were killed. And what happened after that was uh, th- it was a doctor actually who killed Central. But uh, the doctor was subsequently lynched by the soldiers. After the execution, it was reported that the body was horribly mutilated. So uh, don't mess with the regimental band leader, I guess. <laughs> um, and sadly, I think the boys probably witnessed their father. But anyway, and I bring that up because one of the sons then served and was wounded in the Civil War also later. Fighting for Texas. Well, actually, for Kansas. He, he ended up in Kansas, and he enlisted in a Union, uh, 1st Kansas Infantry Regiment. He was wounded at Wilson's Creek, which is one of the earliest battles out west, uh, just near out where I am, over here in, uh, across the river in uh, Missouri. Now, let me ask you a question, because there's so much we can unpack here, right? I mean, oh, yeah. one of my favorite chapters in Southern Italian U.S. history is uh, the soldiers and seamen and, and Marines who ended up fighting for the American forces in the Barbary Wars and uh, off of Tripoli and you know the, which is a whole nother episode a whole nother show yeah. but I remember doing some research when I was at NEAF and working with the White House Historical Association on an event around the Italian legacy and the man who at that time was the White House historian who passed away actually the last thing I think he published was based on a conversation that we had about Salvatore Catalano and the Sicilians and Neapolitans who fought for the U.S. in that war under Decatur. And uh, it's always been just a, an amazingly fascinating chapter that you can go and find these individuals and then track their history. In that case, it was kind of easy because we were able to identify actually uh, on the reverse what I think might be some of the first U.S. servicemen, some Marines killed in action there, who are buried in Syracuse. And I, I oftentimes wonder, is that the first overseas burial for U.S. servicemen and women. I, I, I'm not quite sure. That's not my expertise. But mm-hmm. the reason I ask is because essentially for the audience, right, what you're doing, you're a veteran, you served in the Gulf War, you're a historian. But to do this is a, a clear passion. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're essentially going into the roles of servicemen in every state down to the uh, regimental level, whatever the the ladder down goes you're looking at their last names you're looking for if it tells you where they're born you're basically going to attempt to sieve through everybody who served right that's that's how micro this is i would love to do that yes and and i've kind of uh you know you do the low-hanging fruit first you 
do a search under Italy, uh, Sicily, Cal- I tried each of the, you know, Basilicata, Calabria, uh, Naples, Napoli, Sicilia, all that stuff. And you, and you weed out and get what you can from that. A lot of men had uh, anglicized names. I've got John Smith's born in Naples, wow. you know, wow. uh, Frank Dent. Um, I, I could go on and on. William Sheridan, uh, born in Sicily. Now, some of these men could have been sons of Americans or, or, or you know, uh, non-Sicilians who, for some reason, were born there. That's possible. The numbers lead me to believe that they've Americanized their names. So you have all these things. And so it's difficult. And you never know how many of these guys will just slip under the radar because you don't look at John Frank or John Smith or whomever to say, oh, he's got to be a, uh, maybe he's an, you'd go nuts if you checked every John Smith. Right. So yeah, there's, there's that, there's that, but that's, uh, you know, and I want to do that. I want, I would love to look at every, and I've been, you know, thinking every which way I can to, to look at these things, you know, Naval rendezvous records. So these men enlisted, uh, ancestry has those and fold three has the ones that were enlisted in, in Italy because the USS constellation, uh, recruited during civil war there. And eventually came back to the United States during the war. But I tried to find every man that enlisted or re-enlisted on that ship in the 1860s. A lot I found where I don't know where they enlisted. It says they enlisted on that ship during the time it was in the Mediterranean. Did they enlist in Genoa? Maybe maybe they were more likely to be Genoese if they were from Genoa. You know, you, you just don't know. But And then you got to cross-check. Sometimes it says enlisted in Palermo. And in those cases, I say probably if the guy was in Palermo, he's from Palermo. Maybe not. You never know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. And it's interesting, too, because I, I think about, like, you know, like I mentioned, you came on the first time on the show to talk about Italian-Americans in the Second World War when, when yeah. we were the largest fighting force as opposed to one of the smallest here. But, you know, I think about, like, my own grandfather, right? He, he served in World War II. We have his stories. We have some of his paperwork. But a great deal of U.S. Military records were destroyed in a fire yeah. in, I guess, what, the 70s in St. Louis? 70s, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Does that include Civil War stuff, or is that still state level at this point? I think uh, most of that was World War II and World War One. sadly, you know, which a lot of us are interested in trying to find out. I don't know the status of, this, of the Civil War records there. I know they have limited. States will have some, and I know that the archives have, have some also. And they also have pension records, and through those, I can get some information um, uh, Anthony Fagiani, a man, a young man from Palermo, he, he and his brother both served. Fagiani was born in 1847, uh, Anthony, 1847. He was underage. He lied uh, about his age and he gave a pseudonym and he enlisted under George Tomasello. And so, uh, he served and I have his, one of his great, great granddaughters sent me a copies of his, uh, pension request. He was, he was a wood chopper by, by trade and the guy was injured chopping wood. Uh, while on campaign in uh, in Louisiana. So you can get some information that way. Do you think that any of those who served had been taken up by the romance of the American Civil War, that it was a war for the liberation of slaves? Uh, do you think that that was maybe one of the reasons 
that some of these people came over. Um, like other people had come and had served in the U.S. military yeah. because they kind of believed in the cause or believed what they thought was the cause. I suspect that some in the North did. I suspect a lot of those guys that enlisted in the Navy and came over even before the war, 1840s, 1850s, at least had that kind of that uh, that history of I'm an American, et cetera. And, and here's an example of Nunzio Finelli, a chef, not a musician, a chef who enlisted in Naples, born in Naples, enlisted in Naples in the Navy, came over, I forget the ship, I think it's a constellation in 1850s, late 1850s. In 1861, he's a chef in the Girard House in Philadelphia. He enlists in Collis's Zouaves, or the Zouaves d'Afrique, which was a uh, recruited in Philadelphia, and they were they're the ones that wore these fancy. If you remember seeing the images, these fancy turbans, these zouaves, fancy baggy pants. Right. He happened to be the best cook in the army, according to according to some, and uh, he uh, he served his regimental commander and his uh, the regimental commander's wife, who came down to visit some nice food. Sadly, he was sadly he was badly wounded in the face and partly disfigured, te- at least temporarily, in 1862 in the Battle of Cedar Mountain. He gets discharged early. And goes back, and he's a famous chef in the Philadelphia um, Union League. Um, so, are you kidding that, me? No, no. Yep. John, did you hear that? Yeah, that blew, blew my mind. So, we, you know, for those who are unaware, when I was at the National Italian American Foundation, the chairman of the foundation at the time was Joe Del Rosso from Philadelphia, who's an active member of the Union League. And people don't expect this. You know, it's a it's a Civil War club started during the war to support the Union Army. But there's a lot of Italian-American members now in the leadership and Joe and a lot of colleagues that I got to meet through him at NIAF. And uh, I bet you they have no idea about that, actually. we should. Yeah. And and yeah, there's uh, the uh, historian of the Union League is aware of it. And I got information from him uh, and from um, his descendants are sending me right now that's lost in the mail, but package of his uh, application for when he was wounded, his, his uh, pension application. But um, yeah, he was famous. He did uh, oysters finelli or something. I mean, he was he's they served nine thousand oysters that were consumed in four hours during the war when he when he made a, a meal, a New Year's Eve, a New Year's Day meal for the, the commanding officer and all that. But anyway, yeah. Where are you getting these these stories? This is what I've always been fascinated with. I'm not a professional historian. When you start this process, right, you come across this name. Yeah. How, how do you get the personal history attached to it? Uh, I only can do that for some. People like uh, Finelli, uh, something was written about him, and I wanted to add to that. I just wanted to spout what somebody else has already discovered, so I'm, go- I'm in the process of doing that. So I, I find out from the descendants. I get some information from Fagiani. I got from his descendants. Um, there's a few other descendants that I get some. I also get information on uh, in newspaper archives, some of it, which is where I got the story about the man who was killed uh, in Texas, Achille Centro. Um, and you can also find some things. Some of them were a little well, more well-known. Francis Scala, Francesco Maria Scala, was a leader of the Marine Corps band in the 1860s. And he's from Naples. And uh, he, he was a, an acquaintance, if not a friend, of, of President Lincoln. And he, he played many concerts for the president. Uh, there's information on him you can find. Um, and there's, there's some you find unusual, like two men claimed to have shaved the President Lincoln, right? Two barbers. And by the way, barbers is the third uh, profession. Yeah, 15 barbers. Who'd have thought? So 15 barbers, but two of them, um, Rosario Manzella shaved Lincoln in the at the Republican National Convention in 1860 in Chicago. The other barbers in his shop were the Copperheads. They didn't like Lincoln. 
So they said, you want to shave the, the hayseed? was what the quote was. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. I didn't know. He's, he could barely speak English. He's a 17-year-old kid at the time. He shaved Lincoln, and Lincoln gave him a $5 gold piece. You know, so he was voted Republican from that time on. But um, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. nothing has changed for both <laughs> yeah, Democrats right. and Republicans. Yeah, that's right. You who know. do you shave? Yeah. Exactly. So, and there's another guy who claimed to shave. You know, so you got these stories. And, and, and there was a story about Manzella. That's where I got that. And it said, you know, you, uh, the, the record I have of him is he enlisted right toward the end of the war, March 1865, just before the end of the war, and served in Illinois uh, Cavalry Regiment for a while. The newspaper stories says, well, he served two years in the war. He was a personal aide of General Custer, who was in the East, not in the West, with, where these Illinois regiments were. And he uh, was injured in this battle, which I can, couldn't track down. I'm like, all right, some of this is aged veteran you know, embellishment and some is newspaper men's. I've seen it. Newspaper men just embellishing stuff. What does a reader want? You know? Yeah. But anyway, there's so you get things like that too. A lot of fun. It's interesting. You know, as a historian, you can't, I can't definitively say, yeah, he served on the staff of Custer. I don't believe that to be the case until I find something that shows he served earlier than 1865, you know. Custer's uh, bugle was from Sal Consolina. Yeah. Giovanni Martin, Martino, um, not Martini. I think it's Martino, actually, John Martin. He's the only survivor at, at, at Bighorn. Uh, from that troop, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I believe there was a Native American scout who's also a survivor. I don't know. There, I, there, I tried to read about when when each of them left. Of course, Martin was probably one of the last, you know, that uh, Custer sent him specifically go to Benton and uh, Benteen and, and give this message. So, wow. On the way, he met Custer's brother, not Tom Custer. I think, the, I think it might have been the other one. I, I can't remember. It might have been Tom. He met him on the way, and Tom Custer said, well, where are they? He goes, they're back over that way. He goes, hey, do you know your horse is wounded? The horse is wounded. Martin's horse was wounded. He didn't even know. So there he had the last man to leave Custer, meeting the last man to go and join Custer, who sadly he died too. So anyway. Wow, how about that? Yeah. Do you know what Martin's real name was, Martino's? Uh, I think it was Giovanni Martin, Martino. Rather. It was Giovanni Crisostomo. Oh, right, right. He and he probably took the name then of either his family or the, the person who adopted him, right? I think that's yeah, he was an adoptee, yeah, and he yeah. and it because our listeners love like historical little tidbits yeah, because yeah. the custom in Italy was when people would have children that they put out of adoption, which yeah. 99.9% of the time were kids who were born illegitimately, yeah. um, from non married uh, parents, those kids would be put in a wheel. At a convent yeah, the wheel. and left yeah. there. And what happened was around. he was found on the feast of St. John Chrysostom. And that's why the mayor of Salaconsolin named him St. John Chrysostom. Yep. Wow. Yeah. He did he did an interview in the Brooklyn Eagle right before he died in the 20s. There's an interview he made. There's a lot of facts in there. That's he's, fascinating. There, there's a lot on him. Yeah. He's 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 also interested. I wonder if I could bring up a couple of other interesting things. Here, here's absolutely that's why we're here. Here's <laughs> Joseph Lanza di Brolo. Now, that's a Sicilian nobility, a noble family, the Lanzas, and De Brolo was a branch of that. He was born in Palermo about 1836. He enlisted in New York using the honorific title Cavaliere uh, Joseph Lanza De Brolo. On his enlistment document, which I found online, it lists his occupation as gentleman. <laughs> that, awesome. is, right, that is that, the which greatest. I love. We've wow. been at, we're, we're approaching episode 250. This is the greatest moment in 250 episodes. <laughs> that doesn't gets, tell you everything. Yeah, I'm changing my business card. Patrick, it, it gets better. It gets better. Well, it gets it gets more interesting. So you listen to this. Uh, 
first Company G, first New York Mounted Rifles. They go down and they serve with a couple of skirmishes. He enlisted in August 1862. He deserted in October 1862. So apparently the gentleman could not. It's not a very genteel pursuit. You want to cut that out. I, don't know. Well, <laughs> no. I, bet, I bet you had a problem with the food. <laughs> That's <laughs> right, probably expected... He should have eaten with Finelli. That's right. Yeah, he probably expected very high end. The yeah. Italian military has always been known for its food, even its, its yeah. camp rations. Right. And he probably said, this is not up to my gentlemanly standard. <laughs> I'm I going bet. back to Sicily for yeah. lunch. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, and you know what? And some of these records are inaccurate. You take them as you find them. Sure. You know, what do you think he said when he got back to Sicily? <laughs> like everybody <laughs> said to him, you know, they're reading newspaper reports about this. And because, like, really, it was the dawn of modern warfare, right? right. I mean, you're it the was. military, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And yes. they're reading Absolutely. about charges and Gettysburg. And yep. they asked him, how was the war? And he complained <laughs> about the food. The food, let me tell you. I bet you 10 bucks. I'm t- I was, we'll never know, but I'm telling you, that's what it was. He probably said, manga nukata. I had not even a kind <laughs> Yeah, he probably um, was there. Complaining, how was the combat? I never saw the combat because I was very unhappy with breakfast. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, listen, but (laughs) let me tell you about the breakfast. The hard tack was horrible. But you know what? Here's an interesting. You bring something up and we laugh about it. But I want. There's a couple guys I found. I assume they're brothers. Crisafoli, a Crisafoli, enlisted in the navy again in Palermo, uh, in a constellation, and that's it. They disappear into the sands of of mystery. How many guys enlisted, for example, in 1862, 1863 in Palermo? did a tour and a ship, you know, it was, it, it was a ship in the Mediterranean squadron. So it'd, it'd make the ports and sail and try to look for Confederate, whatever, and come back. And then they discharge and that's it. They're back in, in Palermo or Naples or Messina with stories to tell of service in the American civil war. Their descendants may never know. We may never find out yeah, sure. how many of these yeah, guys. And, and their descendants may still be in Italy, you know? Yeah, I, absolutely. To me, the fascinating chapter, and I know you, know, you were saying to me off mic, you're focusing on the union right now, and then it's either a, a latter part of the project or maybe another book on the southern Italians who fought in the Confederacy. And and I came across what's probably the, the best known participation of sons of the two Sicilies in the in the U.S. Civil War at this point, which is a collection of ex-Bourbon soldiers, prisoners of war from the Italian Risorgimento, who fought for the Confederacy in Louisiana. Yeah. And I came across that, interestingly enough, just in some casual research, like a reference to it. And then, I, I don't know, I find the world works in really funny ways. I had done a project in film years ago, and somehow I still kept getting scripts. People would bring me scripts and say, oh, this has to do with Italy or this. So you, you might be interested. And somebody sent me a script, I don't remember how, uh, written by a guy that was a fictionalized version of, of a semi-autobiographical experience about an ancestor that he found out had been one of these ex-Bourbon soldiers, prisoners of war from the Risorgimento, who came over and fought for the Confederacy. And so as I read this script, it actually led me from his own research through a lot of uh, interesting avenues. The way I understand it, right, if you think about the timeline, the unification of Italy, with the exception of the kind of later sieges in Gaeta and places like that, the, the sort of final holdouts, the unification of Italy occurs by declaration on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, 1861. That That's still celebrated. It's still recognized in Italy as the uh, unification anniversary. It's less than a month later, April 12th, the 
South Carolina forces fire on Fort Sumter, and the U.S. Civil War begins, at least in the, the earliest stages of it. So as I understand what happened is there's these couple of hundred ex-Bourbon soldiers being held in Naples by Garibaldi. Uh, Garibaldi's role in the final phases of the unification was sort of sidelined, right? He was not involved in the siege of Gaeta. He was in Naples. He had handed over the south to the Savoys. And so he's kind of there. And he's contacted by a former uh, fellow soldier, another gentleman soldier. I, I understand, the guy, I guess the guy's name is Chatham Rabadou Wheat. Yeah, I pronou- right. I don't know how to pronounce yep. that middle name, right? But yep. uh, who was a... Louisiana. Uh, out of Louisiana, a Virginian who was serving in the Louisiana uh, legislature. Mm-hmm. And he basically says to Garibaldi, like, we're going to go to war here. Garibaldi's already been offered command of Union for some forces by Lincoln. So he knows he's following stuff. He goes, uh, we're going to go to war here and I got to raise troops. Do you have anybody sitting there languishing in prison that would be interested in coming out and fighting for us? And yeah. I guess Garibaldi either makes the offer or decides for himself and a couple hundred guys decide that some historians, I guess, have said like up to 2,000 eventually come over on these prison ships, decamp in New Orleans, and they get signed up to fight for uh, the Louisiana Guard, right, uh, yeah. in, in New Orleans. And there's still there's still a lot of descendants left from those guys here. Is that the case? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, I have a list. I got it online, so it wasn't, you know, I didn't pick and shovel this, but uh, a list of the men in the 6th Louisiana. It's different than the 6th Infantry Louisiana Infantry Regiment. They're sort of a, it's kind of vague. They have the guard. These are the uh, sort of a militia. And they, I think they initially wanted to call them the Garibaldi Battalion, which probably is a bad idea for, you know, for bourbon prisoners of war. But, yeah, guys um, who Garibaldi had, had been put in prison, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> so now it's Italian Legion or Italian, I, I have Italian Battalion or something like that. So I've been going through each of these, you know, kind of not as assiduously because I'm doing the union guys, but I'm going through and I'm trying to find a lot of them from Palermo, a lot from Ustica. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. I'm a Calabrese, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ustica sounds like it's a dirty word, doesn't it? It does. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I should. My kids, like, yeah, I can't hear that. Ustica and mama are like. I'm going to use that for now on. Yeah. So, yeah, and I have found those, and uh, I want to go through each each of those I would like to and try to find out a little bit more. Th- that regiment, those guys, though, were only on duty, from what I could tell, and I need more research, only on duty briefly, and they were called to duty basically to hand the city over to the incoming Union Army while the, while the Confederate regulars kind of left. They wanted an orderly transition. That's what I gather. I need to do more uh, work on that. Summer's here in full swing, and we want to know how you Italian-American for the season. The Italian-American podcast is partnering with Mediaset Italia for an exciting giveaway. Just snap a pic of your most Italian-American moment this summer, post it to Instagram, and you could win an exclusive Mediaset Italia picnic pack. The picnic pack includes a portable blanket, picnic basket, cheese board, plates, utensils, stackable wine goblets, and a wine opener. Everything you need for an aperitivo picnic under the sun. How do you get your chance to win? It's easy. Just capture what Italian summer means to you and post your picture to Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at Italian American and at Mediaset Italia USA. Then tag both accounts in your post. Don't forget to use the hashtag iHeartMediasetItalia so we can find it. Post your pictures between now and September 21st and we'll pick 20 lucky listeners to receive their picnic pack in the mail. 
Open to residents of the continental United States? Visit Instagram at Mediaset Italia for more information, terms, and conditions. You know what amazes me as I sit here and I listen to you? The continuity of all this, right? So if you take this is the American Civil War, it's the mid-1860s. Yeah. And you have Italians who are signing up to be chefs, basically in the military. Am I correct with that? It was a couple. <laughs> a couple, right. And the reason somewhere I say on the ship and somewhere in the yeah. And the, the reason I say that is because my grandmother's brother um volunteered for the Second World War. He was past draft age. He was in his late 30s. Yeah. And he wound up being an, an army chef in Hawaii. And I think my uncle had a great time with it. Could be worse. And yeah, he he introduced these GIs to pizza. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And somebody in my mother's family has pictures of him with like pizzas on top of Jeeps. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, we always wind up, you know, it's the DNA always puts us in one direction. Yeah. Well, you get the music, right? Which I didn't inherit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you, <laughs> you also have the cooking, which I didn't inherit. So, but could anyway, you, could you do it? The next book on Italian chefs in the U S military. It's <laughs> a great question. Well, yeah. yeah there, and there were, let's see how many cooks I had. I have the, the chef, of course, Senor Finelli, and I have uh, four cooks or chefs, and some of them were were Navy. But here, I want to, one more thing before I, we go, and I don't know our time, but I want to talk about John Zito. He was born in Naples. He was a musician. He came to the U.S. He enlisted in the Army in 1853. Well, he served in the 2nd U.S. Cavalry in the band, musician, right? So I have an, a report. He is who I think the first Italian-American, certainly first Southern Italian, to be wounded in action. I could be wrong. This is the first I've found. Uh, in 1860, so before the Civil War, he's in Texas, uh, and there's a patrol led by Major George H. Thomas, 2nd Cavalry. And George Thomas later became General George Thomas, the Rock of Chickamauga in the, in the uh, Civil War, very famous. Uh, but anyway, he led this patrol. They came upon uh, Indians, and I'm using the term that's in here. Uh, they came upon the Indians. They attacked. They dismounted. Uh, the one warrior, uh, again, using the terms here, kept his position in the rear of the party. He dismounted, faced his pursuers, and uh, took aim and fired. Major Thomas was wounded in the chin and chest. Private William Murphy of Company D severely, and Privates John Zito and Casper Sedell of the band slightly wounded. Hmm. And that's a report written by, by the way, Colonel Robert E. Lee, who later became General Robert E. Lee. So I I think, yeah, I think John Zito must have been uh, the first uh, Southern Italian uh, native of the two Sicilies wounded in action, or First one I found. And what date would you put that at? That was August 1860 in Texas. Wow. You know, th- th- this is the thing about, because I always wrestle with this. We've talked about this on episodes where we've talked about the Civil War or Italian-American service. You know, when you, like you said, Pete, when you're growing up Italian-American, you, you don't think you have this history. Now, there, there, there's clearly going to be families around the country who've been here a long time or, or don't know their ancestry well, whatever it is, who, who this may be a, a great genealogical gift to them. They go, wow, I can't believe I had an ancestor. I would have never thought, you know, we don't think of Italian American immigration in those years, but you always do wrestle with it. If you be, if you're a passionate Italian American, you think, where do we belong in this narrative, right? The the pre massive immigration history. And, And to me at first, when you start to dig, you go, okay, there is a small number and you get this sort of underwhelming sense, right? It's like you said, we're not as the, the Irish basically fought that war themselves in so many cases. And, yeah. you know, Irish, and I, Irish, and Irish battles. You know, a lot of things of, people don't know about the Irish is there was as many Irish fighting for the Confederacy as there was for the Union. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, some, yeah. yeah. Some of these battles were Irish and Irish brigades or the Germans. And right. So, you know, you see these other ethnic groups that were earlier in the experience. And right. So you think our little tiny number 
of Italians of all backgrounds, north and south. Then you whittle down to the south being a, a drop in that drop in that bucket. And you go, I, you know, it's it, it might seem underwhelming at first, but then there's a beautiful benefit to that, which is a historian like you or people like us with dedication to it, you can actually dig into as many of those stories as you could find. You can, you know, come to a very kind of nice sense of near totality to the best of your ability, right? So yeah. you can create this list and database and you can get these personal stories and dig deeper into each of them. And there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah. You, you, you can get as far as to say, maybe this is the first person from our background to be wounded or serve or this and that. And there's something nice about the fact that it's a neat package and a small number that you can yeah. really dig and personalize. John, and I'm glad you bring that up because uh, of, if I include the pre, the pre-war guys and the civil war guys and a few that I'm kind of wondering whether they were. So that's over 200. I said, you know what, like you said, I can list each one by name. And I figured I'm going to do that. I'm going to each one and get whatever I can, certainly about their service. And in some cases, when it's interesting about their post-war lives, for example, and things I find guys that ran in trouble with the law, you know, all kinds of weird things that I don't want to overdo it with that in, in the scope of a book, but it's enough. Like you said, I can get this and do it by name. And, and you know what's interesting, too, is like uh, I know you feel like sometimes as a historian, right, you've got to be balanced between your passion for the minutia and an audience that's going to read it. But at the same time, too, you're not just writing a general history. You're also, in some sense, providing a service to our community. So I, I can, for one, encourage when you do find those post-war stories, particularly if they're here, it's worth codifying them in, in, in appendices or online or something because you know what? This is a genealogical service for people in our community, right? I mean, yeah. I'm sure there are people out there who would be completely flabbergasted and thrilled to realize they had an unknown ancestor in the American Civil War. I think that you're you're doing as much a service as you are, as much a service for the community as you are for the history. No, oh, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, we we uh, I had a personal experience somewhat like this, and I, I think it's it's important to relate it. We Pat and I were on a project in Italy in where were we Pat Campania right I think uh, southern Campania near the border of Basilicata there was a, a bunch of young guys our age who had revived an ancient mill a wheat mill and they were exploring and and studying these ancient varietals of southern Italian wheat that were uh, people with gluten intolerance and allergies could eat and all this that was very fascinating the way they were uh, bringing both the artisanal and the ancient together with modern technology and we happened to go there with Princess Beatrice of the Borbone family, and these guys were making a big fuss, and it was revealed to us pretty quickly that they were uh, bourbonist in their in their bent and, and their sense of history and stuff. So we all took a liking to each other, and we started having conversations. And I left that trip, never thought about it after. And a few weeks later, I got an email from one of the guys, and he said, you know, I, I do this on the side as an amateur, but I want to study the names of Southern people that I meet in the diaspora. So I started running your name, and I found some ancestors of yours who were in the Bourbon military and refused to uh, go over to the Savoyard military when all of these soldiers and officers were given the opportunity, and they decided to join the brigands, which is the, you know, I don't think is the appropriate name for these fighters who went out in the mountains to fight for what they saw as their independent country. And he gave me this whole history and all these records, and I thought to myself, holy cow, I've been so passionate about this history and obsessed with this topic and would have never thought 
you know, my family was there, but who would think you'd have any? And to find these relations with my name that he could trace to my ancestry. Yeah. What a gift that was, you know? Yeah. You, you don't know what you don't know is the saying. And, and it's a revelation. And I, this was to me, even the 123 guys. So yeah, it's, it's, I like it. I, I just, I think, and, and uh, it, it does uh, kind of stir me as, you know, I like Italian, I like Italy as, as a unified whole, certainly, but I, I feel that affinity to the two Sicilies. You know, I mean, that's my ancestors were have been there since Lord only knows when. I mean, that's that's us. Yeah. Um, and when you find that connection, at least to another country that I obviously love, the United States, and uh, and the struggle for uh, for to retain the union and to abolish slavery, um, and and again, guys joined for a variety of reasons. Guys say, "I'm going to get this bounty." Even even us honest Italians, even us honest Siciliani. I'm going to join them and get the bounty and I'm going to take a powder next chance I get it happened. Yeah. But by and large, these are just ordinary average immigrants, uh, you know, doing what they, what they could. And it's just fascinating to read about. Yeah. I find it so interesting. And I, and I, you know, the thing I find as I study the civil war more and more is, I mean, look, we're still dealing with the ramifications of the civil war in the country today right when it comes to issues of race and yeah. reconstruction and the the leaps and bounds and then uh pullbacks and you know the the myth of the confederacy and the you know all of this kind of stuff right statues and yeah. it's a an incredibly complex issue but the more i've studied it what i found really interesting is for the majority of men who fought who actually did the the fighting and and suffered were wounded survived whatever it's amazing to see how quickly they began to come together in a brotherhood of veterans on both sides yeah. in their recognition of the, the war as an American experience again, you know, as as part of the whole story. So even people who fought for the Confederacy, whatever the political aims were on either side, you still have ties to a very distinctly American period and uh, one that is even today fundamental to who we are as a nation and our sense of self and our sense of states. And yeah, I think it's great that you can tie our people back to that. I think you really are doing yeah. a service. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You mentioned kind of that because um, I, t- I spoke about Joseph Cady, uh, an Alabama man from, from Palermo serving the Alabama infantry was wounded and captured at Gettysburg or at uh, Vicksburg. And in correspondence with his great, great, great granddaughter, I said, I'd like to write this article I'm gathering, you know, and I've got, she had a picture and she was kind enough to let me use that picture of him with the, a Bowie knife and a, a pistol tucked in. But anyway, she said, gee, you know, on second thought, he never owned slaves. And I, I want to make sure you're going to honor the thing. And I said, I'm not into this demonizing a Confederate because he's a Confederate. I'm interested to tell the story, you know, and, and it's a shame that we're to that point now. And I, it's dishonest history to, to, to do that, in my opinion. It's not a good practice of the craft of history to say Confederate, boom, bad. I'm sorry if that bothers people. It, it's just a fact. Not to mention, if you take even the slightest sophistication to a study of the U.S. Civil War, you realize that most of the population of the South that was slave owning was able to afford exemption from service. So the, the, yeah. the 99% yeah. of the guys going out and getting killed for a cause, for them, it did not necessarily have to do with slavery. It might have. There might have been racism to it, whatever it is. But sure, you know, if you look at the enlistment of of men, there's not many slaveholders in there. It's no. it's just people who are being uh, compelled by their own causes. Yeah, a lot of them are just farmers, you know. And there were plenty of Union soldiers 
who fought because they, they believed in the political idea of the union, but they did not support emancipation. Right. That's right. why emancipation exactly. came yeah. late in the game as, you know, Absolutely. and and, and yeah. I think there were, I mean, I know it's we're, we're light and dynamite here, but yeah, I love to listen to um, YouTube interviews of civil war veterans. It just fascinates me. And I do think that some of them did fight because they, A, believe that their nationality was their state over the union. Yeah. So they were a Georgian or a South Carolinian before they were an American. And they may not have agreed with, and I know this is a small percentage, but they may not have agreed with slavery, but they felt that that was their duty. I mean, the right. mindset was just so different then. I think it's so That's, hard for people to understand that yeah. people saw the world, and it's not a justification, but they saw the world in a very different way. Yeah. And it was these were all very complicated issues. Yeah. And, and, and slavery was so intertwined in the issue of, of secession and all that, that that's you can't just say, well, it's about states rights and that's it. I don't think that's you know, that's also not, I think, intellectually honest. But um, it's, but the nuance, as you point out, Patrick, because there's more nuance there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and it's simplistic. I, mean, I meant in a simplistic sense of saying, like, sure, certain people, different people fought for different reasons. But, you yeah. know, the Irish were totally anti-abolition in New York. I mean, that's why you have mm-hmm. the draft riots in 1863. Right. Yeah, they didn't want because to. the Irish were afraid that emancipation of the slaves was going to flood the labor market in New York and that the Irish immigrating over the Irish who are already here would not be able to get jobs because emancipated slaves from the South would offer their services for less money. Yeah. I mean, Irish Americans never confront. That. I mean, I tell people that in Ireland and they, they just look at me like either like I'm crazy or. You know, because they they have a they have a, a view of a modern iron of the last twenty years. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm just saying. It's, it's such a complicated yeah. issue. I think the one thing we can all agree on is probably the Sicilian noble went back because of something like he didn't like the betting place. <laughs> he couldn't uh, bring yeah. his servant. I, yeah. yeah. That's, that's uniform, the guy I'm kind of really afraid of. Uniform was yeah. too yeah. simple. What is Lanza di Brolo? Can we go that's find a, him? A, John, I, he let's disappears go. after that. Let's he go, disappears yeah, after we'll that. find him in Sicily. They gotta have find, a castle. Oh, there's still lines of the yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go yeah, find the lines of the And we'll find out they'll probably have like a uniform there. He didn't like the, the tailor. It's probably got general stars on it now, you know. <laughs> That's oh, right. Yeah, I was, I what do you mean? I'm not, it, a, yeah. I'm not a gen. <laughs> yeah. You know, Peter, you're probably right. Worse than lunch. <laughs> yeah. He probably thought he automatically would be a general. Yeah. He said, wait a minute. Well, he would have in Italy. sono io. Peter, why don't you do a book on him? That I would, would love to go back to Sicily. Yeah. Find the find the, the modern. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Brolo, yeah. That's amazing. Well, there's I look, we, we could talk for five hours. On oh, this, yeah, I could. And I bet there's a million amazing stories. And you've got a runway on this project. It's going to come out sometime, God willing, in 2023. So I'm sure you're going to discover a lot of new and interesting ones. And it's my hope that. We at the Italian American podcast and all the projects we work on can be an aid in any way to both, you know, your work, your research and getting this out there and and getting as much of it out there as possible to our audience. So if you're out there in our audience and, you know, you don't know about your genealogy and you don't know when your family came and, you know, you, we, we want to make this stuff available to you because you never know where your ancestors were and what they did and what role they might have had, large or small, in a seminal moment in American history. So. Peter, you're doing great work uh, on behalf of all of us. We really appreciate it. And Peter, when the time comes, we're going to plug, plug, plug that book. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is a big one for us. Just let us know. Let Stephanie know. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Now, 
I too am an Italian musician. There you uh, go. Gear up. And Here I, we go. And I play the kazoo. And if I had been in a military <laughs> band, there would have been a kazoo. Time, I would have been a kazoo player. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. A kazooator. Okay, yeah. gear, gear up for your regimental role, Pat. Can you play? What can you? Will you play like uh, the what's the battle hymn of the Republic to get us out on this one? You ready? Pat's gonna play us out. Get ready to play us out with your regimental instrument here, and uh, I hope everybody out there has enjoyed this brief look into some of the amazing stories that Peter's putting together. And uh, I know for all of us, we're looking forward to the final product, and I hope you are too. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh god that's terrible <laughs> it has a certain uh, beauty <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're nicer than me your life will be great. You just tell oh, me that you're born an Italiano <laughs> and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano.